Hey all you out there in podcast land, welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me is Michael Seventy. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. Um, I'm yet to be reunited with my proper microphone, so you have to endure at least one more episode of Stream Police with my grainy lo-fi voice. Sorry about that. But we're going to go ahead anyways, uh, because we're an unstoppable podcasting machine. Yeah. Like the Terminator, if... You know, he was a streaming service. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this is a podcast where we take randomly selected films from Netflix and review them. Last week, we reviewed Jackie Chan's Project A2, which Michael recommended, and I did not, though we both agreed on liking the film's humor and sincerity, I suppose. At the end of the episode, we were given the task of choosing between three films. Those films were... Uh, if I can remember the name correctly, the 2009 documentary Independent America Rising from Ruins. Does that sound right? I think so, yeah. I, I, don't, I never even found out what that was. I didn't even... It, it sounded so boring right when I heard that <laughs> title. Uh, <laughs> option two was the 2013 dramedy Straight A's, and also we had the 2007 Bollywood film Dil Dosti, etc., and now a drum roll for the film we watched and will discuss. And it's Straight A, starring Anna Paquin, Luke Wilson, and Ryan Philippe. Uh, but before we, we get into that, uh, let's talk about some of our favorite tunes. We thought this would be a nice opportunity to talk about some of the albums that we've listened to recently or, or what's coming up. Uh, Michael, what, do you, what have you been into lately? Uh, for 2014... Um... For me, it's actually so far been a pretty good year for music. Um, these are all kind of a, a few months old now, but uh, The War on Drugs had a really good album. Um, uh, Lost in a Dream, uh, Lost in the Dream, I believe. And it was just, uh, it's actually my first album that I've heard from War on Drugs. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, so you've heard it. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I liked it. Yeah, no, it's it's like you know, I, I'm, there's like every review said this I think, but it's like shoegaze plus like Heartland uh, <laughs> rock, which you know is kind of a, a peanut butter and chocolate combo that I can uh, I can get behind, and um, but but it's also just very strong uh, songwriting. You know, uh, the songs themselves are are very good, and that uh, that kind of uh, like seemingly uh incompatible uh combination it just really works uh beautifully i think so that one i really liked i agree yeah I, i'm digging the heartland style people say it's like bruce springsteen-esque <laughs> which is kind of neat uh but I, I really haven't got into it as much as i want to okay yeah i need to i need to sit down and really soak it in <laughs> yeah yeah it's so a- uh so yeah it just took me a couple of listens, yeah, to like really get into it. But I, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely worth it. Uh, so uh, what else? What else is up there for you? Uh, I loved the new album from Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks. Uh, my favorite, I would say, like gun to my head, my all-time favorite band is Pavement, and Stephen Malcolmus uh, is just an amazing songwriter and guitarist, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a very good album. Um, it, it's if you like the Jicks and if you like what he's done with his uh, post-pavement career, where it's 
uh, at times jammy, but very much, uh, you know, in his typical melodic Malcolm-y uh, mold, uh, then I'm sure you'll like it. Um, I think Lariat is one of my favorite songs of the year. It's it's very much, you know, Malcolm's wordplay, but also a very pretty melody and some guitar work that's, you know, you want to rewind it like five times before you reach the end of the song just so you can... <laughs> wrap your head around it and uh yeah i I saw them uh live this year and they played most of the album and um kind of jammed on it a little bit went a little bit off the the blueprint of the songs on the record it was really cool so i'm into that one a lot now i've never listened to the jicks actually how does it how do they how does that sound different from pavement or is it still pretty much like pavement well i mean i think he uh you can the Malcolmus Factor, which is also the name of his talk show that he's going to start, <laughs> uh, it is very much present, you know, uh, in his lyrics certainly, and like, like I said, just he, he writes very distinct, very pretty melodies. But um, I think it's, I think the guitar has really taken center stage uh, for him. Maybe it's just because like before he was in a more uh, like democratic band i guess uh, like he was writing all the songs in pavement but i think uh now it's like his name is is in the band you know steven malcolmus and the jicks so like there's a little bit more like he's uh kind of shreds like it's his version of shredding but you know it's kind of like but um but yeah so that kind of takes center stage and there's there's some jamming but not like uh you know not like fish but like but like kind of just no no vacuum cleaner solo (laughs) okay there is one vacuum cleaner solo but but besides that it's not like fish but uh but if you're a fan of pavement then i think you know it's definitely something you might like uh i'll throw in one more good one just because uh yeah um freddie gibbs and madlib had an album called pinata uh which is just uh if you like uh, Madlib's uh, beats and his kind of, I don't know, that production style and his ability to just do like nine different things in a song that are just amazing on their own and then come together and become like this megazord of just awesome uh, beats, then you'll love it for that. Good word choice. Yeah. <laughs> megazord. I was going to go yeah, with I'm Voltron. I'm not familiar with this, so now <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. Megazord? Yeah, I mean, it's if uh, if you want a giant robot of, of good <laughs> beats, and then Freddie Gibbs, who's a, a very uh, interesting and, like, skilled rapper, so yeah. You had me at Megazord. <laughs> uh yeah, you know, unfortunately for me, my 2014 has been uh, not quite as positive. I've, I've I've been, you know, doing that thing that I'm sure all of us are guilty of at times. It's trying to believe that bands that you've liked in the past are going to continue to do great work all the time, even though they've shown signs of shakiness. Uh, one big one was a while back. I finally like sat down and listened to the latest from the Black Keys. Oh, yeah. who somehow got really popular on their last couple of albums. I mean, I feel like Gold on the Ceiling is just in every commercial <laughs> for anything. It doesn't even matter what it is. Yeah. Uh, really, the only song I liked on that album was Fever. Are you familiar with that track? It's got like a... That was the lead single, right? The Yeah, the blast to the past kind of... <laughs> 
question mark in the Mysterian style organ riff. That was kind of neat, but the rest of it was just so plodding and <clears throat> generic. And I mean, they're just like you go to some bar and you see like tonight the blues breakers. <laughs> like, the Black Keys kind of sound like some generic blues rock band. So that was disappointing. Another yeah. album. This is going way back early in the year that I was actually pretty excited for because of the single. I get tricked by singles a lot. Was <laughs> Broken Bells second album? Oh, I didn't after hear the that. disco. Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big Shins fan. I like James Mercer. I'm not a big Garden State fan, but I like, <laughs> I like James Mercer. Yeah, um, his songs changed your life. And what was cool about, <laughs> what was cool about that, um, that's the lead single on that, "Holding On for Life," uh, was his it kind of been a Bee Gees thing going for him. You know, James no. Mercer's got a great. Okay, great voice. I've always said he's kind of like every Beach Boy voice in one person. Oh, that's high praise. And, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I, mean, I think he's a great he's he's a great singer and he's got great range. And uh, this album, I mean, it's called After the Disco, had a kind of disco thing going for it. But Holding On uh, for Life is really the only song I think that does that successfully. The rest uh. is just kind of synthy and boring and. I feel like Danger Mouse is just burnt out. I, I can't remember the last time he I heard his name was attached to something and then it turned out to be really great. Oh yeah, both of those albums are Danger Mouse. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I just re- yeah, you ju- you just reminded me of that. I huh. totally forgot. There's some other stuff I don't know if it's even worth mentioning. Uh, I'll throw out one album I did like to turn that frown upside down. <laughs> and that was Mac DeMarco's Salad Days. All right, right. Also from a couple months ago, uh, the Guitar slinging, laid back, songwriting Canadian, and that was just easy going. It was pretty similar to his debut album, but yeah, it was enjoyable. Sure, sure. That's, I mean, I just have that, and then there's a couple albums. I mean, in War on Drugs, now there's a couple albums that I'm like hoping are gonna be really good. Oh yeah. You know, like I got I got a lot riding on Spoon's new album to be good because I'm a huge Spoon fan. Yeah. Now I know that album is streaming on iTunes, and uh, you, did you check it out? I did, yeah. I, I don't know if and you want to like talk about it, cause go, yeah, go for it. I'd like to hear what you, what you think about it. I haven't heard it yet, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, just having heard it in its, uh, you know, in one listen and uh, not really digesting it yet, um, I like it, and I I am a Spoon fan. I think that um with the the added sound they have now with the new uh, keyboardist guitarist fellow I, I forgot his name already but um you know I, I, I before I listened to the album I was kind of wondering how that would change things up for them or if it would change things up and I, I don't I don't know if it's uh, like something completely out of their wheelhouse or anything but they I don't know, they do some interesting things within the kind of the spoon framework and uh there's a couple of songs that have not left my head since listening to it so yeah the, the snippets i've heard they definitely sound fuller than they have in the past i mean they've kind of been a band that's gone back and forth between being very minimalist mm-hmm. and being i wouldn't say mainstream but a little more polished mm. but that's that's kind of a thing i like about spoon is i feel like They've had some songs that have been more polished and, and more approachable that have been like have gotten a lot of radio airplay, but yeah. they they've never really like let that get to them. They they're always still very experimental. You know, they kind of just play by their own play by their own <laughs> rules. They're never not spoon. Like they're you can yeah. always kind of and I think you've said that like ga 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 is like like your favorite um, album of like the. The, the 2000s. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, 
I got that album. It, it came out the year I graduated high school, ah. and it was kind of like my soundtrack for a while. Sweet. So I and I always keep a copy in my car, so I, I closely associate it with a lot of uh, the experience of experiences I've had from the transition uh, from like being a teenager to being an adult. All right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I'm not sure what it is about Spoon that I love so much. I think one of the things I, I just briefly touched on was I think they are uh, daring. And, like, sometimes they'll do a song and it'll just have, like, some guitar and some very minimal percussion and some vocals and they're done. And what else I like about Spoon, uh, I just feel like Britt Daniels, uh, I mean, aside from being great vocalist, he just has a great sense of the pop melody structure. And mm. he approaches that in so many different ways. I mean, their albums are all a little different, but they're all very much spoon. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's hard for me to pinpoint it. You know, sometimes I notice when I really like something, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just be like, well, well, it speaks for itself. Just you <laughs> check it out. Like, I don't need to explain it. Like, yeah. Just listen to it. And I have been doing a uh, ret- retrospective that I'm going to put on mildlypleased.com. Yeah. Just little, kind of little blurbs about how I feel about each album. Of course, Gaga, Gaga is my favorite, but... Nah. Uh, there's been some other great ones like Kill the Moonlight yeah, yeah. and in Gimme Fiction, uh, but I'm really excited for this one. Uh, I really love that song "Do You." Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've been playing that a lot. Yeah, and um, I'm excited to check out the rest. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Then let's get ready to make the grade with straight A's. Look, can I help you? Yeah, is the Henderson house? Mr. Henderson is not here right now. He's out of town for work. I'm your Uncle Scott. How come we've never met you? I've been rehab facility for drug and alcohol dependency. It ain't tight. Why are you here? Sister, I wouldn't lie to you. Don't call me sister. What kind of call her that? I don't know. I guess I made it up after she married your daddy. Technically, she's your sister-in-law. No smoking in the house, including marijuana. Yes, ma'am. If you Wikipedia death, it says it is the permanent termination of all biological functions that sustain living organisms. What it doesn't tell you is how to cope with death. (laughs) That is the opening monologue from Straight A's as spoken by an eight-year-old boy to set the tone of this family drama from director James Cox. Uh, Let me ask you something important, Michael. Did those words and did this film speak to you? Uh, those words definitely spoke to me. And what they said was, stay far away from the rest of this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to get any better from here. And I should have heeded that warning. But I, <laughs> we have a podcast and I stuck through it. Um, yeah, yeah, this movie definitely spoke to me. <laughs> so the plot to Straight A's, if I recall correctly... Uh, it's about this family living in this really nice house in, I think it's the South. I'm not sure if they ever say. It's Texas. It, it, it definitely, it, oh, it's Texas. Yeah. Okay. So these these kids are having a funeral for their frog and their mom's Anna Paquin. And then this mysterious guy comes up on a horse and it's Ryan Philippe. And he is their uncle that they've never met and really don't know anything about. Uh, Anna Paquin has, uh, she had like a past relationship with him. They used to be boyfriend and girlfriend, but then she went on to marry Ryan Philippe's uh, brother, which is Luke Wilson, who's never really around because he's got some job with 
casinos well he, some sort of business job? yeah he has a job with uh the non-union uh <laughs> equivalent matthew mcconaughey uh the <laughs> uh the worst matthew mcconaughey that has ever existed in any universe uh so ryan Philippe shows up and he says his mom who is dead but uh, she, he, uh he says she came to him as like a ghost and said to watch over the family and, and help the family, I, I think, something like that. So he just kind of shows up, and he's hard drinking, hard partying. The reason he's on a horse is because he's gotten DUIs, and he can't drive a car, and he's crass, and Anna Paquin hates him, but he starts forming this 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 kind of relationship with these kids who don't really have a father figure in their life, and soon enough, he kind of grows on Anna Paquin, and... You know, it it gets a little complicated after yeah, that. And it's be- because of their past history. Uh, you know, his brother is obviously, you know, married to her, but they themselves had a bit of a love triangle of sorts uh, all those years ago. And those feelings are rekindled in that magical Texas, you know, beautiful... It's just... Uh, it's the kind of stuff that you see at like the the book rack at like Safeway when you. Like, I feel like we we've said that before, like about Jack Reacher. It's like it's the like the the readers of the of uh, that Jack Reacher books and this kind of book are kind of like in a Mars and Venus kind of way, or you know, it, 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 it's it's all on the same area. And I mean, you pick it up and you're like, I kind of know these people. These these are people who were famous at, at some point in time. So you check it out because it has B-list celebrities. Yeah. Should be called Straight Bees. I would have seen it if it were called Straight Bees because that's truth in advertising. And it, it, at least it would have been on. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like Anna Paquin, I mean, she's on that True Blood, right? Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, she's got a, a gig. <laughs> Maybe this movie just really spoke to her. I, it's possible. Maybe they always kind of wanted a, like an indie on their resume. That or I don't know. I mean, Luke Wilson tends to do a lot of these. Like he did one with Jessica Simpson a while ago, like a few years ago. Like he's been doing. I, I don't know what it is, but he he just kind of gravitates to a lot of these. I feel so bad for Luke Wilson, but I'll get into that a little more later. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna gravitate back towards that opening monologue I, I I gave, and it I feel like that opening monologue just sums this movie up as just a whole collection of cliches. Like, I mean, you're you're given this this speech that is gonna set up everything else in the movie, even though you're like not sure if it's gonna, and it's overly serious, but it's also like quirky and clever, and it, the fact that it's delivered by a kid who's eight years old, like wise beyond his years mm-hmm. you know that's such a cliche the the child who's wise beyond his years in these kind of indie type movies and i actually wrote down like a list of of some of the the cliche the cliches <laughs> and predictable plot points yeah. uh i mean it almost felt like a parody of indie movies i mean you have the mysterious relative who's like all fucked up shows up uh there's an absent father there's there, there's an elderly like parent who's distant from the like the rest of the family there's some scene involving a funeral. Like I said, there's the kid who's too smart for his own good. And of course, there's the understated indie soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, does does any of that work? No, it, it's it's a little grab bag of like shitty, 
pseudo indie like signifiers you know like the the cutesy fonts and which by the way like they that that's in the movie like it says tuesday wednesday like uh, like it gives us this sense of self-importance that like we don't give a shit it's it's four days that go by that like this movie is like in love with its little collection of little tgi fridays like quirky (laughs) little indie moments that are, are just so contrived and like i ended up getting like weirdly like angry (laughs) just like whenever like a new one would come up um just just because it just seems like such a factory made like a quirky movie with quotes around the quirky you know i like to write uh, screenplays and i feel like one thing i've learned about that is subtlety is uh, choose your moments to be clever, you know? You can't have your characters respond with witty retorts and clever comebacks in every single conversation. I feel like every single line sounds so, like, overthought, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we did this and wrote this? To the point of where it's like, this isn't how people talk or this isn't how act or this isn't how things happen, you know? Yeah. Everything had such a, like, quirky and offbeat, like, reasoning behind it. And I mean, this it's 88 or however long it was minutes of, of that, like nonstop. And it's grating. Like you get, you get tired of all these cliches building and all this like snarkiness and smugness and right. (laughs) But but I could feel it from the opening frame. I was like, Oh gosh, here we go. Yeah, no, totally. And and those, and those clever moments are like recycled clever moments that aren't handled well. Like in the opening scene, when he walks up on the horse and he talks to the eight year old boy, uh, you know, he, he asks, he says, Oh, I know your name. You must be blah, blah, blah. And then he says, no, that's not my name. And then he says, Oh shit. Which is kind of like a moment in the Royal Tenenbaums. That's sort of similar, (laughs) but in this case, it's not written well. It's not performed well. And it's, it's actually edited throughout the movie. There's a lot of shots that seem like they were put in in post or little moments of ADR that kind of like deflate the joke a little bit. And it's just, it's constantly like the, there's, Maybe it's Luke Wilson's presence that make, that makes me think this, but it seems like there's a uh, little kind of, you know, trying to be like a Bottle Rocket-esque or, you know, shooting even lower, trying to be Garden State-esque, which if you can't clear that bar, Jesus. <laughs> it, it's just, you know, it, it's clearly like a, a paint-by-numbers kind of attempt at that. I'd love to see a graph where... You have straight A's in the center, and then all these arrows pointing off to where uh, all the other movies that it seems to take things from, and you know, yeah. to become this amalgamation. Uh, you know, one yeah. thing I wanted to touch on when I was talking about the uh, the clever comebacks and witty retorts and everything is I actually wrote down one line that for some reason really bugged me. There's a lot of lines like this, but I remember one scene. Uh, I think they've just had dinner, and of course, Ryan Philippe was too busy taking a bath. He didn't show up because he plays by his own rules blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he says like some line about i can't operate anything with a key and anna paquin says good thing we lock our doors Ugh. i get like oh it's clever because like he key but he didn't he meant like the like, cars and stuff and she means like the doors of their house she doesn't want them coming in but like to do what exactly like what is like no one would ever say that i don't know it just it doesn't make any sense to me it's it's one of those lines that they probably thought was so super funny even though it doesn't sound like the appropriate response to that to that line. No, and it, it, like even if you're gonna do that, like make sure it's clever, make sure it's funny. Like if you're gonna have to, you know, 
uh, break reality to have like a little quip there then you know work on it workshop that thing a little bit i mean do you remember like as as he walks in and anna paquin sees him that she like literally drops like her glass in shock and it breaks and it, it like he's made out to be like oh what's the story behind this and like man this guy must be crazy or he must be like crazy charismatic or whatever but yeah. no he's just a dick like throughout the whole movie he's such an unpleasant person I, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to be involved with him or want, wanting to form any kind of friendship or relationship with him. Let's take a minute to talk about Ryan Phillippe then. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, he's in most scenes. He's the star. Uh, to, for starters, he's the only character in the movie that speaks with a southern accent. Yeah. No one else does. It's almost like he found out, oh, I'm not that good. I got to find like a crutch to like get me <laughs> through this. He's like, wait a minute. I found the secret to being interesting. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a stupid quirky accent and i'll get the easy laughs you know and at that yeah. point when you're doing something like that it's like you're not even like playing a character anymore you're playing like a caricature you yeah. know he's playing like i'm southern party guy what do to do run up on my horse drinking <laughs> vodka uh. and i also feel like ryan Philippe is not <laughs> is not well cast in that kind of character type like he's he's too boyish he's too doe-eyed and He's not, you know, the type to be like the, the, the kind of the the rough around the edges brother who just shows up. Like, that's not how I see him. And it didn't ring true to me at all. What I thought about Ryan Philippe is basically the same. I mean, I, I think that uh, he, he did go for that accent to kind of layer on that, you know, quirky factor. But it's not a great accent, so it doesn't really work on that level. But it's also it's not like funny it, it, it just it's distracting and it's uh, i don't know he, he i don't think he can uh be that kind of guy because he is sort of i don't know he, despite the fact that he's i think late 30s probably early 40s at this point yeah he's, he doesn't seem like he's had th- those years on him <laughs> or whatever you know no he still looks very boyish and, and model like yeah yeah. Yet somehow he's already fallen off the radar. And I think it is because he's he's just not that good. I mean, I think the, th- the thing about this character is it called for someone to be humorous. And Ryan Philippe isn't humorous. So that's why he's doing this like, I'm a redneck voice. Because yeah. it's the only way he can get the laughs. Well, he definitely tries for him, though. You know, like the the whole gag of like, he cusses in front of kids. You know, that that's basically from scene one, you know, till the end. He, he just says like, oh fuck man yeah you got you know and it's like language it's like it's that how is that any different from a rapping granny you know what i mean like we we got past that like the he can't be saying that there's still it's just it's absurd it's not funny and i would kind of if in that situation i'd be like yeah just don't be so you you crass man don't don't say that in front of my eight-year-old like maybe that's just because i'm like an old guy myself but i don't know it just but how about the quirky way he bonds with kids like remember yeah. when that six-year-old cuts his hair yeah he's like i, I want to look nice because he, he's going to uh, the young boy's school i think it was something like that yeah and uh the youngest girl uh, of the family she must be like five or six he's like well i gotta look nice cut my hair and they have like <sighs> oh, a fun moment but it's like that would never happen why would you let a little kid who could barely hold scissors cut your hair like, it's one of those desperate attempts for a laugh that, when you break it down, makes literally no sense. Like, is this character that stupid? 
Yeah. Does he? Does he like? He, he like. He acts like him and these kids are on the same like intellectual level, and I'm not buying it. Yeah, which I think that the only way to make that moment work is if it's you know it's it's like this twee kind of thing where it's like oh the daughter's gotten that, but the, it's not really played well at all. There, it, it's just kind of a series of shots of him of her cutting his hair and them kind of laughing, but. Uh, just like every other scene in the movie, it's completely overlit, and, and the soundtrack isn't really supporting that vibe, and it's it's played in a very stilted way. And, and speaking of that, the direction, there's a lot of weird choices. Uh, like, he wakes up, like, hungover at one point, and the camera kind of spins out from him laying on the couch. Um, I don't even know how to describe the shot, but it, it's... The, the, the only... The, the only comparison I can make is in Malcolm X when <laughs> when, it, when it circles around Malcolm X in the hotel room. When it, it's just a completely unnecessary, like, yeah, I went to film school. I can move this camera. I'm James Cox, you know? Like, it's ridiculous and unnecessary and weird and just... And the movie's just full of those moments. Don't forget the lens flare. Yeah, yeah, the lens flare. A lot of moves that definitely seem like the moves that an in, like a student filmmaker would have made had they were given, you know, really good cameras and and locations and actors. It's 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 trying too hard, I, I think, to like. Well, there's this movie isn't very good. It's kind of boring. Let's put some like razzle dazzle in here. Like every time we show what day it is, let's make it go in fast motion. Because yeah. life goes by so fast or something. <laughs> that's like a good enough reason, right? <laughs> life goes by. Yeah, that's what it is. So many of these these amateur moves that maybe you notice them more if you're a film fan or a student of film. I don't know. Maybe the average person doesn't really, they just kind of ignore that. But for someone like me, and I, and I assume you, like, I mean, you, you'd see every brushstroke. And you want to you wanna be immersed in something, you know? Not to get, like, uh, up on a soapbox or nothing, but, I mean, there's... Uh, a, lot, a lot of people have complaints about uh, the direction that independent film went, uh, you know. Basically, the, the fact that, you know, these TV stars can kind of do this low-budget quickie and send it, you know, direct-to-DVD and, and, and have that be called independent film when independent film once described you know it, it's just it, this is as far away from like john cassavetes as you can get is this kind of like quirky sitcommy like thing with uh that's very very much by the numbers and uh very cliche ridden and yeah it, which I, I don't know like maybe, maybe that's getting off on too much of a tangent and i i to a certain extent, I can't hold that against the film itself, but yeah, it, it definitely smacks of that. Uh, we didn't really touch on uh, Anna Paquin or Luke Wilson too much, and I wanted to get into those a little bit. Uh, Anna Paquin, I've never been a big fan, and in, in in this, she's she's playing the annoying, uptight mom who cares about her kids and doesn't like Ryan Philippe. But then I feel like there's a weird point in the movie where you know she she transforms to being this prude to being open minded, and for no reason. It's like Ryan Philippe hasn't really done, like he's been consistently like a douchebag the whole time, but then yeah. eventually she's like, oh, but you gotta love him though, right? He grows on you. No, he doesn't. You don't have to love him. <laughs> Anna Paquin, what are you doing? 
she he shows up at uh her kid's school and like gets him in trouble and and gets like the principal mad at him and then she rightfully chews him out about it and he calls her the c word like and then and she just like it's like a laugh line like what is that it's comedy yeah that's what it is but i mean i feel like she was such a one-dimensional character that made this I mean, they all are. They they all have like they all make the transformation. They they learn things as they go along. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like they're so easily convinced to change their mind by things. It just yeah. it doesn't seem like a real change. Like a change is it takes a long time. It's gradual. It doesn't happen in two three days. Mm. However the hell uh, long this movie spans. Yeah. And then uh, and then we haven't even touched on. We have Luke Wilson who. I mean, personally, I was never invested in... Uh, I don't even really know what he was... I couldn't even explain what he was doing. I, I don't... I honestly think they couldn't afford Luke Wilson for as much as they thought they could. And so he's just kind of in the movie on a business trip uh, for most of it, pretty much all of it, uh, being a really good business guy at whatever the hell of business that he has, uh, hanging out with uh, non-union Matthew McConaughey. And, and just kind of, uh, you know, feeling shitty about his marriage and cheating on his wife and being a dick. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty much his character arc. I feel like he's doing all this bad stuff. And then near the end, they kind of just wrap it up in a couple scenes when I feel like, you know, they should have really delved more into that relationship, fleshed out this father character. Powers Booth, yeah? Well, I meant... Or- well, oh, I meant, I meant Luke Wilson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, him too, yeah. Yeah. Powers Booth uh, as well. He plays the father of uh, of Luke Wilson and Ryan Philippe. And he, he's he got Alzheimer's. I mean, and doesn't like Ryan Philippe. Is, is there anything else there? Yeah, like he pulls a gun on him. And that's like a, you know, like he's a... Everything in this movie is like, oh, Alzheimer's. That's quirky. <laughs> I think someone with Alzheimer's is ready to just pick up a gun. Like, I don't yeah. know if that's a confident decision that some of Alzheimer's would be willing to make. That's uh, another one of those like laughs that's thrown in there. But when you think about it, you're like that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I'm really sure what that's what that's doing in there. And of course, him like Luke Wilson, like things get patched up in like one scene. Like that's all yeah. Right. Yeah, Luke Wilson and Anna Paquin patch things up in one scene. You know, there there's no. I think there's like a brief montage of them talking on the couch and like everything just gets wrapped up because the movie is about to end. You know, I think they ran out of money and it's like they have to this this smacks of something that was uh, not really fleshed out when it was being written. And then even then when it was being produced, they ran into obstacles with timing or budget or something where they had to rewrite it and tie up loose ends as quickly as possible and as hastily as possible um and, and just in those moments like uh powers booth using the gun like when he's uh driving uh him and the uh the housekeeper guy or the guy that works up he's he says uh you know oh you ever meet my old man and he's like see and he goes oh what'd you make of him and he goes see like like the joke is that he speaks spanish and that he just says c or like it's just like these people aren't white that'll be funny they don't speak english like it's just so it's it's i mean it's racist and it's people that are different are funny exactly it's it just that's it just piles that on over and over again not that specifically but 
things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nobody in this movie feels real. Uh, one, another one that bugged me. I mean, not as much was the, uh, the, the, the kid, the eight year old son. Cause it's hard for me to really hate a kid if, you know, if he's just reserved and just doing the best he can. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's what all kids should be doing. Just keep to yourself and do I mean, well. Like, I mean, I was going to say like, you can't hate a kid in a movie. Well, like, of course you can hate a kid. There's annoying kids, but this kid is pretty low key. He's very smart. He wears a suit. To school. He, he reads yeah. USA Today. At, at the breakfast table. But anyways, uh, one one thing I wanted to touch on is during the whole movie, he's doing a, a, a he's got to do a report. He's got to do a presentation on the Aztecs. Yeah. At an assembly, which I don't know if you've ever had to do a presentation at an assembly, but I, <laughs> I certainly haven't. Like in front of the whole school. For some reason, yeah. the whole school needs to hear an eight-year-old talk about the Aztecs. And of course... He's not confident in his ability to do this, but, you know, he's hanging out with Ryan Philippe, and Ryan Philippe is cracking jokes, and they're having fun, and he's going to give him the confidence he needs, and, uh, gosh, you remember that, that, that scene at the end where he's, he's given his speech, and the kids are really reacting to it? Yeah. Like, they're like, whoa, like when he says something violent, and like, yeah. Unprompted. Yeah. Like, what the... F- what, <laughs> what has that ever happened in the history uh, it's of ridic- anything? Yeah, uh, uh, these kids would just be bored out of their minds or talking or whatever, and they're all going, gasp? <laughs> like, what? It's like everyone always reacts exactly the way they need to for each scene. Like, what's the what's the best way we get this to someone to react and then to move this, keep moving the story? Yeah, just no. Just make them laugh and stuff. I, I don't think any of the filmmakers have, have been in an elementary school classroom in, in many years because there's a scene even earlier that I think is also so just weird and, and just not of this world is when, like, uh, he, he's in the classroom and the teacher is asking him to say something or to read his, what he's written. And uh, there's a pause and he says, well, let's hear it. And the all the kids laugh at that moment. And then like he gets up and the bell rings. And it's like, why would the teacher have him go up if the bell is about to ring? Why would the kids all laugh at that moment? Are these kids just just awful children that <laughs> it's just yeah. weird. I mean, that also highlights when earlier you're talking about the weird edits and, and camera techniques and everything. When I saw that scene, I thought, oh, well, they must have flashed ahead to the end of his speech. And, yeah. you know, it didn't go well because he does. He looks kind of down. But no. And then it took me a couple minutes. No, it's just he went up for the last like two minutes of class <laughs> to give a 10 minute speech. <laughs> you know, it's it's these illogical moments that happen just to get some sort of like character reaction, even though. They, there's there's no logic behind any of it. But of course, this all grows to a, a climax, a, fin- a finale that I can definitely say I actually didn't see coming because it is so ridiculous. I, I don't even know where to start with this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try. So basically, they think that Ryan Philippe has been at some sort of rehab facility for drugs, and there's a... There's one, there's one evening where the whole family, including Paris Booth, are all having a meal together and trying to patch things up. Luke Wilson is there, and Ryan Philippe starts getting like these headaches, and he's like, oh, something's going on, uh, and he, he goes into another room and collapses, and they go to the hospital, and the doctor explains to him that, oh, he's been seeing all these doctors and having all these treatments because he has a brain tumor. <sighs> like a soap opera. Yeah. 
I, I, it's just no it's just it's completely out of left field uh, the, you know the, the and it's another yeah it is like from a soap opera it's melodramatic it's it's not foreshadowed at all it's not like i, I was gonna say it's not like thematically relevant but i'm not even sure what the fuck this movie is saying i, I, I don't know one of the things or probably the main thing that bugged me about it is ryan Philippe has spent this whole movie being such a dick the whole time but people have been learning from him anyways be like you know what he's he may not know everything but you know, there's certain things he does know. Those <laughs> things that we can, we can hold with us forever. Yeah. And then, and then, what, what do they do? They're gonna kill him and make him like a saint. You know, like oh, you yeah. know, he was he was really actually like this, the greatest guy. Yeah. And he doesn't deserve that. No. And like the eight year old kid, he reads about him at the he reads the eulogy and he's like, I only knew him for four days, but but and it's like no, you learned nothing from him. He, you learned like uh, how to be a dick i guess and you learn that he's like cocky and arrogant yeah like he he says to him hey kid there's more to life than just getting straight a's and that is very true but consider the source like i don't think you should be getting that lesson from him i think you're you're doing fine kid you're doing pretty well you don't want to emulate this guy I, I really didn't know what to say because uh, there's nothing else in the film like that, you know. And there's no hints to that, if I can recall. Was there? I don't. Do you think remember so. anything? Le- it just it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. It, it's. It, I mean, it's really not. Nothing leads to it. Nothing really significant comes from it. Honestly, I mean, because though I mean, the whole movie like you don't care about any of these people because they're so bizarre and so cookie cutter and so underwritten and overwritten at the same time that it's none of this connects anyway. But then to have this character die of brain cancer, like it's I don't know, it's just so bizarre. Oh yeah, something I was gonna mention earlier when we were talking about Luke Wilson is. Uh... I feel really bad for Luke Wilson. Like, don't don't you feel like he's good? He's better than this. Like, yeah, I, think... I mean, he was in Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, he's just about as good as Owen Wilson. Yet, he has to do these kind of movies, yeah, to keep afloat. And that got me really down. Like some of these other people, like Ryan Philippe, he deserves it. <laughs> like he's never been that good. But Luke Wilson. Uh... So I I guess this is like my 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 eulogy to Luke Wilson's career. I wanted to have that moment for sure. Man. He's the real one that died. <laughs> Luke Wilson's career is the is the real Scott. Rest in peace, Luke Wilson's career. Because uh, I was looking at his IMDb, and he's got some movie coming up with like a talking dog or something. Oh, really? Rock dog. Straight to video. Rock dog. Yeah. I, <laughs> I assume it talks. It's, I mean, it rocks. It, it it might as well talk. Uh, yeah, that's that's a real shame. Although you know, I, I haven't seen it. Maybe it'll be a masterpiece. You never know um but i well he's gonna be in the skeleton twins um just saw oh really that. yes i actually did see the trailer of that good so good. and I'm, I'm happy about that and uh I, did you watch enlightened at all no he was on that and i think that was a good place for him he, he was very I, that's what he should be doing is like really like interesting tv work interesting things on hbo i think that would be a great area for him but here i've got a scenario for you real quick all right imagine would this movie be even slightly better had Luke Wilson and Ryan Philippe 
switched parts. It would be because it would mean that Luke Wilson would have more screen time than Ryan Philippe. Uh, <laughs> if Ryan Philippe is just uh, has that very minor role where he's off on a business trip being a dick and stuff, then I feel like he could kind of rise to the occasion. I feel like Luke Wilson, you know, even if even if Luke Wilson was like sleepwalking and kind of like it, it just has a paycheck role, I think he can imbue a little bit more humanity into the character than uh, Ryan Philippe uh, managed. I think it's a pretty good idea. I think I think we have to remake Straight A with the same cast. <laughs> we're gonna we're the same cast with switch roles. We're gonna do it right though. We're gonna call it Straight B. <laughs> and instead of getting a tumor, the big guy's just gonna hang himself. <laughs> okay. I, I think we've pretty much solved all of the movie's problems. I think that's everything that needed to be addressed. And more, and more Malcolm X camera. <laughs> yeah. Spinning. I, it's basically, uh, it's like a quasi-remake of Straight A's, but also a little bit of Malcolm X thrown in there, <laughs> just for good measure. It's Malcolm X meets Garden State. Yes, finally. Okay, so at the end of the day, can you give Straight A's a passing grade? Uh, God, no. I, I, I give it an F. I, I, I give it straight F, say... <laughs> Uh, no, it, it's it's very bad, and uh, I think in general this is maybe my least favorite kind of movie. Is something that was clearly uh, something that like uh, there's like a lab somewhere where they g- go to a Sundance workshop and kind of like <laughs> engineer exactly you know what's gonna look good with like a Fox Searchlight logo in front of it. But then oh, fo- <laughs> Fox Searchlight didn't go for it. Okay, cool. Well, let's just you know put it on DVD shelves and Albertsons, and you know it, it's just it's rough. I would also give it an F myself. And before we uh, we move along in this podcast. Uh, you were telling me earlier about the forums <laughs> to uh, to this movie on IMDb. Can you can you tell me a little bit about those? I'd love to hear about what what other people think of Straight A's. Yeah, well, uh, I I went on the IMDb message boards for this movie because I just noticed that there were threads for the movie Straight A's, <laughs> and I just like uh, I was kind of taken aback by that because I I didn't uh, realize that enough people had seen it to have a discussion about it. Um, but basically there's a couple of threads that were made about Ryan Philippe that were clearly from, you know, fans of him. There's one uh, thread that's just Ryan Philippe and the message is, does this guy age? I can't tell if he does. I also think he exhibits an easy charm in this easily the best part of the film. Great chemistry with the kids too, which, okay. Like I, this is clearly a person who really likes him and it, it, you know, I'm all, I'm all for the positivity there, but then there's a thread literally right above it that's two pages long, and it's called Ryan Philippe is a horrible actor, <laughs> and he just, uh, you know, he says after hearing him on the Howard Stern show, I liked him as a person, so I watched a few of his films, and he sucked in each one, and then the next person is another Ryan Philippe fan, different one from the one that started uh, that thread, and says Skinny June eighty four, who's the thread starter. I think I smell a troll, and one that doesn't even have the guts to stand up and admit it. Ryan Philippe's character in Straight A's is not a douche. He's a very damaged but utterly charming man, immature and often inappropriate, especially in his vocabulary, but utterly charismatic. Assuredly not a douche, which is my favorite sentence. Assuredly not a douche. I suspect you only saw the trailer and jumped to conclusions. Um, And so they kind of just go back and forth for a while and i <laughs> i don't begrudge either of them for their opinions because i think he's a douche but i also think that 
you know, I, I don't, he's a douche in this movie, but I also think that I can't judge who he is as a human being from his acting. But then there's um, a, a thread that's, uh, there, there's like three threads. There's straight A's versus straight A's with one is spelled straight A's. The other one is spelled straight A's with an apostrophe after the A, and which is correct. And that's one thread. Then there's one that says, straight a's dash 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 no one caught this that's two pages and both threads are about the fact that the title is spelled straight a's with an apostrophe after the s and it's just a long discussion where they go back and forth about is that grammatically correct why did they do that and there's this one starts with there's already a thread here on this subject but i hope it, but i'm hoping that starting this new one will clarify things <laughs> like why why would you hope that there's our... straight a's fans need clarification <laughs> exactly like this is this is the only place they can this get is it. like the han shot first like of, of a very small niche like it's just this raging debate about this movie uh and i don't know i was just fascinated by that that this movie has has multiple <laughs> threads that are multiple pages long I don't know. You know, you know what we should have done? We should have taken those forum postings and just done this whole review <laughs> saying those as our own opinions. <laughs> out of back and forth. Yeah. We would have spent the whole review talking about how to, you know, punctuate. These <laughs> would never actually get to the movie itself. Yeah, and I would just yell things because everybody has like five exclamation points after every sentence. Well, there you have it. Straight A's. Uh, probably not worth your time. Uh, so let's move on to a segment called John and Michael Recommend. There's only a few movies that I checked out this week on Netflix, but I think they'd be kind of fun just to touch on. I don't know what drove me to watching these, but just on a LARF, I sat down and watched Disney's Treasure Planet ah. and then Atlantis. Okay. Uh, both movies I've, I, I saw as a kid and then was curious, you know, I like those as a kid. What are those like today? Cause I mean, they're definitely that weird second tier of Disney that don't have singing and aren't about princesses and just other kind of weird adventure stories. Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, to revisit those. I watched Treasure Planet first and it had, it's the Treasure Island story, but in space <laughs> and Long John Silver is a cyborg and there's aliens yeah. and it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And that one was kind of fun, actually. I, I enjoyed that. It was an interesting retelling of the story and I liked all the robots and effects. The animation was iffy at a couple points, but good in other spots. There was a Johnny Resnick song that played in the middle. That I remember that. Pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, but one of the best things about that movie was the relationship between the Long John Silver character and the main character. I think his name was Jim Hawkins. Because Long John Silver, I mean, he's the bad guy. He becomes the bad guy in the book. But in this, he's the bad guy, but he doesn't die at the end. Spoiler. <laughs> they become friends. Like, they actually kind of work out their differences. And it's an interesting end to... Uh, I didn't see it coming, even though, you know, I'd seen it, but it'd been a while. And I like that one. Atlantis, on the other hand was very dry, very flat, no whimsy. The The only thing I'd say that I liked about Atlantis, I can't believe I'm talking about Atlantis. <laughs> the only thing I like, I'd say I liked about Atlantis is the animation was based on the artwork of Mike Mignola, the guy who did the Hellboy comic from the oh, 90s. Wow. That was good. To, it was cool to look at. That one was actually had a lot better animation than Treasure Planet. 
but it was kind of boring, so I'm not going to recommend that one, but I am going to recommend Treasure Planet. Yes, you heard it here. <laughs> Check it out. It's on Netflix. Wow. Michael, what do you recommend? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm going to recommend to myself that I check both those out because, uh, just for nostalgia's <laughs> sake, because I've seen both of those, but I, I don't remember, uh, anything. Uh, but yeah, um, on Netflix, uh, I am not a sports guy, not really, uh, I've never really watched ESPN, but I really like their, uh, 30 for 30, um, documentary series where they give different documentary filmmakers, you know, uh they each get an episode basically where they can make a a documentary about a subject about sports culture you know sports in general um and one that i saw that i thought was really interesting was uh the price of gold uh which is about the uh nancy kerrigan and um uh, Tanya Harding uh, controversy. I don't, I don't even know if that's the right word for it. I mean, it's certainly controversial, but I, I was going to say incident <laughs> or uh, feud. I don't know. Um, but it, it's it's really fascinating, and I think uh, it kind of uh, it, it's this topic that I think became such like tabloid fodder and became like a, a just a Jay Leno joke. Like it, it's like. Uh, you know it's one of those things in the 90s that if you were if some show was doing like a joke about how in the 90s like this is what things were like then you'd have people talking about like you know uh joey butafuku and and tony harding and you know furbies or or whatever you know like it just Uh but it kind of like examines it and actually looks at um things from tanya harding's perspective not just uh, her culpability in actually injuring nancy kerrigan and how involved she was in that but also how they were kind of pitted against each other uh for a while just as young women and just kind of how the media uh framed that and sort of fanned the flames on that and just kind of uh, created or you know or how society maybe su- supported that kind of conflict uh, between the two of them and it, go- it goes uh, a lot into Tanya Harding's home life and and how she came to that point and also into you know even Nancy Kerrigan who kind of got you know even with her kind of success story she kind of got chewed up and spat out by the media when they were kind of done with her as their it girl and uh it's by a uh, uh, nanette bernstein who also did a uh, american teen which i never saw but I, i've heard about and uh, who's you know a documentarian who's done a lot of feature films for and, and i don't know it's i think it's very interesting even if you're not really interested in uh i don't know ice skating or uh the actual you know uh kind of the cultural thing of it it's just a fascinating look at these two people i think and sort of what happens to uh young women in the spotlight i guess so i don't know i recommend it absolutely actually i've seen that one too it's the only one of those i've seen yeah, I, I I saw it in class. We didn't. I didn't actually see the. Oh, end. really? So I don't know how it happens. I assume. I assume everyone's cool. <laughs> they patch things up. I don't know. What, what class did you see it in? Uh, an editing class. Uh, Maria Sanders here at, at Central Washington University. We watched a good chunk of that, and yeah, it was great. It was really All gripping. Right. Uh, I've always been meaning to check out more episodes of uh, Thirty 
30 for 30? Yeah, yeah. Was that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, 30 for 30. I... I'd recommend most of that yeah. episode. Unless it gets really bad. The last, the last couple, of minutes. couple of minutes are just a shit show. It tanks the whole thing for me. No, uh, but yeah, great. Yeah, great shout show. out Maria Sanders. All right, and this moves on to the portion of our show where we go to the Netflix randomizer. Now, how this works is there's this site with an app called the Netflix randomizer that randomly sorts through movies on Netflix. And how this works is... We're going to essentially click the go button on the Netflix randomizer three times and then have to pick one of the movies that it recommends. I thought it might be fun to tweak it a little this week just so we don't have to do another straight A's. Uh, so, yeah, I know that's that's not what we originally agreed upon when we started this this podcast, but, you know, experiment, keep it fresh. So I'm going to actually try classic movies. To make sure we definitely get something good. Because, I mean, there can't be anything bad in classic movies. Well, yeah, right? I'd, I'd just like to say that this is still within the... Like, the integrity of of Stream Police is is still being upheld here. Like, we... This is going to be a semi-random selection. And we there's the possibility that this is... You know, we can have any... All sorts of opinions on whatever we see. So, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't want the listeners out there... Are are literally dozen of listeners out there thinking that we are are undermining our uh, you know our, our our integrity here on this podcast. All right, so here I go with the first click on the Netflix randomizer. Here we go. The conversation. Oh wow! 1974, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, this is the classic film where Gene Hackman is an audio surveillance expert who faces a moral quandary when he suspects that a couple whose conversation he's been hired to record will be murdered. Uh, have you seen this one, Michael? Yes. I have seen it too, and it's a pretty good film. So that would be that might be fun to talk about. Let's see what else we got. Here's the second one. MASH. Ah. I've never seen MASH. Ah, I've seen it. So that would be pretty intriguing. I wasn't just saying I've seen it to be a dick. I just like you've usually we both usually have both seen the same movies. Yeah, of uh, the classic Vietnam War film, uh, Robert Altman. It's got yeah. the song, All Star Cast. All right, and I'll get one more time. Ooh, here we go. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956. Don Siegel. Classic Cold War sci-fi film. Have you seen this, Michael? I've not seen the Don Siegel. Uh, it's a good one. So we got uh, some pretty good... F- I almost feel bad about this, having to pick one of these, because what are the odds we're going to get to do one of the other ones, you know? Hmm. Uh, but that's that's what we do here. That's always the dilemma on Stream Police. So... Uh, Check in in a week, and you'll see which one we review. You can find us on iTunes by searching Mildly Pleased, or you can go to mildlypleased.com to find this very fine podcast. And hopefully there'll be more on the internet at some point in time. Uh, uh, Maybe like a Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Etsy. (laughs) Lab journal. (laughs) Something's going to happen. So uh, stick around, and we'll have plenty of fun. So uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.